0: Bo a a bo a a bo a bo a bo a bo a hello everybody and welcome to episode sixty-four of gaming fix. I'm your host Allison and I'm here with Alex.
1: The N64 had okay
2: games.
0: <laughs> and Pat. And Pat.
2: Hello. <laughs> space <laughs> games are better than anything that happened on the N64, it's a permitted of time in Majora's Mask games. Uh,
0: and Paper Mario. I um, So, since this is the episode 64, we have a smaller cast, and uh, at least two of us haven't played that many video games. Uh, we were talking a bit before the show about the N64, but I feel like I'm the one who likes it the most out of all of us, which is weird because I actually didn't have that many games for it. It was just my first home console, so it's has a big nostalgia place
2: in my heart. I can see that. That's true for me too.
1: To be fair. I didn't own that many games, but blockbuster rentals, like almost every weekend. Yo.
2: Yeah. That's kind of how we operated too. I had the big, basically we would rent a game. And if I couldn't finish it over the course of a weekend, then I could add it to a like birthday list or whatever, and then maybe get it there. So like I owned, we owned Madden 98 because my dad wanted to play it. Um, and then he got really frustrated because uh I just there was a play that you could abuse in that game and it would just you would just win every time. So he and I would play and I would just win with a quick toss all the time. That's great. Yeah. That's <laughs> you cool. could there's nothing you could do to defend against it. Wonderful. That just uh, reminds
0: me though of how uh we were talking we briefly brought up uh, Star Wars episode one Racer, which yes, uh Pat says that it's better on PC, but I played it on N- Nintendo Sixty Four. And, uh, it, that is literally the only game my dad liked playing with me. Mm. Like, like my dad's not, a my parents aren't big video game people, um, at all, but I, I was somehow able to get my dad to keep playing, uh, episode one racer with me. So
2: to be honest with you, I haven't played the two versions back to back. People might like tear me to shreds for saying that the, the pc version is better i just remember we had both of them at different points and i played the pc one a lot more so i don't know
0: no that's fair i i just i had never had the pc one um i bought it on GOG a while back
2: but uh... you, you can't really do the multiplayer as easily or you couldn't then on pc because who had two pc game pads that they were plugging in? like that wasn't a that wasn't a thing then yeah. so it was definitely more of a single player game then
1: so in the mid to late nineties, what is the most disappointing game you ever rented? Like you were like oh, going in. Cause you know, you go and you're going blind. You, you're just looking at box art and you just pick up a game and you're like, I'm going to rent this and play it. And then you get home and it's just like, this is ass hmm. for me. That was obviously Superman 64.
2: Like that was a big one.
1: <laughs> but the other big one for Nintendo 64 was mission impossible.
2: I wasn't allowed to play mission impossible. I basically wasn't allowed to play games where you like shoot guns at people, and so I only played GoldenEye at my friend's house um, and Perfect Dark. Hell yeah! Uh, yeah whatever. <laughs> <They> were, <laughs> my mom was a little overboard on the. Oh,
0: uh, my, my parents were too. Um, I mean, I wasn't allowed to play. I, I when it came out, I wanted to get World of Warcraft, and my parents would not let me. I was the title
2: the silly thing and I love my mother like more than almost anyone on the planet uh but like she, the, the the funny thing was she was like fine if it was like Star Wars blasters if that was what was getting shot at people that was fine and it was fine if it was fantasy violence like Warcraft was okay even though it was pretty intense and maybe more violent than Like GoldenEye when you think of it, because GoldenEye was so low fidelity, Mm -hmm. but. Uh, if it was real guns, that was, what was the, that was the Mm -hmm. the limiting factor. Uh, Yeah.
0: My parents weren't a fan of that either. Um, and I wasn't allowed to play M rated games for a very, very long time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. uh, I I played M rated games
1: when I was 10.
2: (laughs) 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 I got got max pain when it came out. (laughs) That's funny. I played, eventually I finally got, I got to play Halo relatively close to when it came out. So
1: that's sci-fi. Those are
2: lasers. (laughs) (laughs) I, no. honestly- <laughs> <laughs> you, you shoot a gun gun <laughs> a lot in that game, but I managed to, I managed to convince her that Halo would be okay. For but yeah. So point.
1: what's the worst game or most surprisingly bad game that you guys rented?
0: Uh, I don't know if I ever rented it. Okay. So one of the most formative video game moments for me as a child was when I was sick and my parents were going to let me rent a game from blockbuster as a like, you're sick treat. Um, and my first choice was Hey Pikachu. Second choice was paper Mario. They didn't have pay, uh, Hey Pikachu. So I got paper Mario and that kind of kickstarted a love of RPGs. And and I think, I think it's very formative in what kinds of games I like. Um, so I don't remember if I ever actually uh, was able to rent, uh, Pikachu or if I just bought it, but man, I have so many childhood memories of just shouting like, Pikachu, pick up the carrot, Pikachu, pick up the carrot <laughs> for like it, that. That is like one of the biggest memories of playing the Nintendo 64 for me is that, um, but for the most part, my Nintendo 64 or game rental and game play at that time was really, really Pokemon heavy. So I, I don't know if I was really ever like super disappointed because you could just like put Pokemon JPEGs on anything and I'd be like, it's great. So
1: it's a pinball game now.
0: Yeah, uh, hey, Pokémon Pinball's great.
2: It is. It is. <laughs> um so for me I think it was definitely so my friends and I would get I was the I I we would get different consoles at different times. Um so kind of like so everyone could try different games. Um really my best friend and I did this. Um and then we would like go over to each other's houses for the weekend for like oh this weekend we want to play Sega games. So one weekend he and I like got uh his mom did go to blockbuster and we rented uh nights into dreams. Ouch. That game was really bad. Really, really bad. What, you don't like spinning through loops? Yeah, and we didn't have the 3D controller because we rented it. So it's like even worse with a D-pad. At least the 3D controller had that stupid like analog, fake analog stick thing that was like a trackball on springs um but but yeah nights into dreams was a very disappointing and terrible video game
1: i don't think anyone here is going to disagree with you
2: no and we were kids so we didn't know like what it was going in we were just like oh this looks cool and it was trash we yep. played it for like 45 minutes and then stopped playing it and didn't touch it again for the rest of the weekend hey at
1: least at that age you had discerning tastes
2: yeah I don't know. Some would argue against that (laughs) because there were other games that I really loved. You know, one of my favorite, I just remember, you know, one of my favorite N64 games that I don't know if that many people really enjoy is, uh, is, is Mystical Ninja. Like Zelda, like the yeah. Goemon one that was on. I never liked like they never got into like the, the earlier ones on Super Nintendo. I didn't even know it was a sequel when I played it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but the N sixty four version was so weird and had so much different stuff in it. Like sometimes it felt like Zelda, sometimes it felt like uh, Mario sixty four, sometimes it felt like like a fighting game when you did like the mech stuff. It was just a weird, weird, weird cool game.
1: Yep, I rented that one. It was also weird, uh, which. Somehow triggered my synapses. And I remembered another one that I loved, which was beetle adventure racing.
2: I think I probably played that. I
0: think I've heard that's not that. Like I never played it, but
1: it was surprisingly good. You're playing like Volkswagen beetles, but like you're going through like Amazonian uh rainforests and like jumping through waterfalls as secretly hidden parts. And it's like really fast and really,
2: that's funny. It's super secret also- heavy
1: and fun. Yeah, it's great.
2: I also played, uh, rented Buck Bumble several times. Oh, it didn't ever get better. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I rented thought maybe it'd be better this time. And it was never better.
1: It's got that sick theme
2: song though. Yes. That's, yes. That sick, dumb theme song. Yep.
0: Well, it looks like IGN gave uh beetle adventure racing 9.1. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it, people, it was,
1: it? It, people thought highly of it. That's great. That, Cause mm-hmm. that game ruled. Anyways.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh more recent video games. Uh some of us have played some. Um so let's start with uh Pat, how about a game that you have played?
1: I think we lost Pat.
0: Oh Pat? Okay, never mind. Uh so
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alex, what have you been doing this week?
1: What a wonderful time for him to step away. Wonderful. Um I had a really busy week. Um, it's been a super busy week. I haven't had many time for it much for games. Uh, even after today's cast, I'm going straight back into being ultra busy. So uh, if you're watching live, that's why we're doing this a bit earlier. All right. That's among the reasons we're doing this a bit earlier. But despite that, thankfully, I've had some time to engage with a few things, uh, one of which is the final episode of an airing show from this season. And the other is a new album. So which one do y'all want to hear about? Well, first, you'll hear about both.
0: Um you
2: should do the show first.
0: Alright. Yeah.
1: Alright. So the show, uh it's another uh anime, as you may have heard. It's a Japanese animation. Japanimation.
2: Japanimation,
0: so, yeah.
1: Japan. <laughs> yep. Uh and it is called Mob Psycho One Hundred. Uh specifically season two. So if you have not heard of the show, it's from the same creator as one punch man. So if you've ever heard of one punch man, it's kind of a comedy action show that is extremely popular. Um, mob psycho, same, same creator, similar art style in terms of the character design and stuff like that, but way different feel, Mm -hmm. um, still has comedy. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of breaking bad in the sense that the first season has a surprising amount of comedy, but then like once you get to the end of the first season and like, basically all of the second season it's basically a character drama and then like with really intense action scenes uh and yeah i don't know the the very short version if you don't want to hear all about it is that it is extremely good and the online reaction to the end of the second season was like the most universally positive i've maybe ever seen uh like lots of people saying it's in their top three of all time then it's going to go down as an all-time classic along with shows like full metal alchemist and stuff like that um and yeah, yeah I think it's extremely good as well. Uh the interesting thing about it for me at least is that like it, it's an action show so it has conflict but the conflict isn't really coming down to like warring factions or anything like that. Uh so similar to One Punch Man in concept the main character whose name is Mob uh is basically like the most powerful person in the universe where um in One Punch Man, he literally, he's One Punch Man. He's the strongest. He can punch anything, and it explodes. Uh, Mob is an Esper. He's psychic, so he's the most powerful psychic that exists. Uh, but he's extremely sensitive and believes everyone has infinite pot- like potential. So even if they don't have psychic powers, and even if they aren't as powerful as he is, so the whole show ends up kind of being about empathy, which is really unique for that medium. That's cool. It's like, yeah. it, It's really, 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 really good in that sense, like it it, and every character in the show rules like it breaks stereotypes all over the place. Like um, one of them is the quote unquote body improvement club who they're initially introduced to the show as being these big, dumb, scary bro type looking dudes like just muscle bound like meatheads. But like even within a few episodes, they end up being maybe the most wholesome and kind kind hearted characters in like the whole show, which is awesome. Yeah, like, that's they're cool. really, really caring and just sweet and always encouraging people to be better. And like, uh, the kind of thing where if you've ever been to a gym and there's like the guys who have been there forever, they, if you're just starting there, they're the ones who are encouraging you. They're not like saying like, Oh, you can't go as far as we can. When you run, they're like, yeah, you're doing it. Good job. You're improving. So like characters like that all over the place. Um, that's cool. Yeah. On top of the great characters, like the direction is stunning. Like the action scenes are straight up like movie quality uh like there's a couple specific episodes in the second season which were just mind-blowing like just mind-blowingly well animated um and on top of that like the story is extremely good it goes places in the second season like it takes some unexpected turns and it's yeah 100 worth watching erica if you listen to this episode this show is hundred percent for you and xavier Uh, yeah, that show thousand percent recommended, even if you aren't into anime, like there's no caveats to that. There's no fan service to explain away. It isn't into like weird Japanese or anime tropes. Like there's no Japanese specific cultural references like that. Uh, yeah, very easy to get into. So excellent. And it, along with promised neverlander easy 10 out of 10 shows from this
2: season.
0: Actually, heard, I've heard about that, but I might have to go yeah, check that out.
2: Yeah, I like uh, One Punch a fair bit, but the thing that um, I really liked how subversive that show is, and I like all of the like writing and character development and stuff. I thought that the main character's arc was really interesting from this kind of like apathetic kind of nihilism almost. To like finding reasons to care about things again, some of the the extent to I like the concept of starting at this character is crazy powerful and really really like the strongest in the the, the world. It got so cosmic in One Punch that I started to like lose interest as the conflict started to escalate. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the more like kind of poignant character stuff from earlier on in the series. So I am, it's interesting. It sounds like this show maybe captures more of that throughout it rather than turning into more of a, just like, cause like I like the fight scenes later on in one punch, but near the end, it got so hyperbolic Mm -hmm. where he's like punching through spaceships and stuff. It's just like, yep. It it lost it a little bit for me near the end. Yeah.
1: And I liked one punch man. Uh, but I think this show is, infinitely better.
2: Cool. Yeah. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent recommended to anyone. Uh, if we were still doing <laughs> monthly, do this thing recommended by this person, like that one is easy. That would have been easy. Uh, but yeah, no, cool. so that shows great. The other thing, uh, that I got, uh, again, like last week, a new album came out, which is, you know, something you can do in the background while doing other stuff. But, um, it's the new periphery album mm-hmm. I like That you've also heard it and oh yeah let, let me say in advance it's been an extremely good past seven days for music Seriously? <laughs> between both really years, between both this and empath um so uh if you are into prog and or metal this is a must listen album <laughs> Uh, yeah. The only caveat I have is like, if you're not super into those genres is you have to have a tolerance for harsh vocals, uh, which yeah. like I've had forever, but I know for some people it can be jarring or like grating if you're not used to it. So
2: what I um, will say about periphery is I think that if you are someone who really appreciates the, um, that uh, appreciates heavier instrumentation mm-hmm. and are interested in kind of acquiring a taste for harsher vocals, I think they are, the best band aside well aside from maybe between the buried and me i think they're the best band that combines clean and harsh vocals that's kind of a trope of metalcore bands uh of the last 10 years or so to do that a lot and i think a lot of times the clean vocals end up sort of sucking versus the harsh vocals um whereas like between the Barry and me and, and, and me does it really, really well too. Although the earlier stuff is m- almost entirely harsh, whereas there's kind of a more even split across Periphery's catalog between harsh and clean vocals. And Spencer Satello from periphery has just this incredible voice that he can like go back and forth between the two instantly, like pretty much perfectly. Um, and it sounds amazing.
1: Yeah. You can combine them really well as well. Actually. Yeah. That's another thing you could say about Empath and Devon Townsend. <laughs> he also does that kind of combination. <laughs>
2: yeah. His kind of harsh vocals are such a different thing to me yeah. than what what I'm kind of getting at his his harsh vocals are so much more like he he uses them more sparingly I feel like uh, especially on empath. So it's sort of more of a, even if he's an example of like, even if you don't like harsh vocals, I would say you're fine because his harsh vocals are not grading in the same way as yeah. I could see like bands like periphery and between buried and me coming off.
1: Totally. Yeah. And like, if you need a frame of reference, like you could see periphery, like you could boil periphery down to being like kind of a more, more modern Lincoln park without the rap kind of stuff to an
2: extent yeah there's there's similarities there for sure they're more progressive than lincoln park i think um and and like the instrumentation is on a a, a bajillion levels higher much more more complex
1: it's supremely technical yes Uh, but yeah the new album uh periphery Four, hail stan uh it's really diverse It's like, it's got some tracks, which are basically like radio rock, like almost poppy. And then it has some straight up super heavy, like death slash black metal.
2: (laughs) And and like the, the two extremes of those two things are my two favorite tracks on the album. Like it's only smiles is the poppiest song they have ever done. I think it's, uh, the, the, a, a black minute is a little, is also like that too. But, um, but it, it's even more so cause it has much more like soaring kind of like ha like uplifting vocals in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, blood Eagle is my other favorite track on the album, which is like <laughs> some of the heaviest <laughs> stuff they've ever done. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really great. It's about an hour long. It's a journey. Uh, I don't know for periphery. They have a whole bunch of albums out Uh, my personal ranking. I think I put juggernaut as my number one favorite of theirs followed closely by this, which is maybe tied with periphery too.
2: Yeah. I I think what's cool about them. I mean, I don't, I'm sure it's come up on this podcast many times, but like my favorite band ever is Coheed and Cambria. And what I, what I love about periphery and why they're kind of climbing my list of favorite bands, um, is that, uh, something that's amazing about Coheat is that they have grown over time and they sound very different over time, but they have consistently been very high quality. So you can go back and listen to like their first album and it doesn't sound bad. Like if you go back and listen to, to I don't know, like Jimmy world's first album, it's even though they grew to be like this hugely successful commercially and critically kind of band early on in their career, you can see that they were, you can tell that they were younger and not operating at the same level. Whereas if you look at a band like Coheed and Cambria and periphery does this too, their earlier sound is very different, but they're very consistent over the course of their catalog. Yep. Um, what I think the periphery for is so amazing for, and is in a similar way to uh, Coheed's uh, good Apollo for, they've expanded the range of what they're willing to, do on a single album so much with this one that it's definitely, I think it's probably my favorite of theirs, but I can, I would rank juggernaut a close second. So I don't know. I have to listen to it a lot more times, yeah, but it's, um,
1: th- there's just maturity at some point.
2: Right. right. Yeah. It's not that that the, their earlier work is less technically proficient or less well produced or, um, less interesting. It's just the, the, the diversity of the, of of like the range of sounds they're producing just continues to grow. And that's really exciting. Cause that's like, that's, that's key to progressive music. And, and I think a lot of, um, less quality prog bands just see progressive music as like, Oh, you just mix elements of jazz fusion and classical music with heavy metal. And that's all it takes, but it's really progressive. Also means progressive over the course of your career, in addition to being progressive within a song. Yeah.
1: Either way, great album. Check it out if you're into that genre. Or if you're not, I don't know, give it a shot. Maybe I think it's
2: worth giving it a listen, even if you're not someone who typically likes that kind of music. Yeah.
1: But yeah, no, that's all I've really had time for this week.
0: Very cool. Uh, maybe I'll give that a shot as well. Uh, I don't know. I'm very new to that genre. But,
2: but, but seriously... <laughs> You should listen to, uh, everyone should listen to it's only smiles. I think that's a great, like very friendly track. And if you like what you hear there, maybe take a stab at some of the other stuff on that yeah, album.
1: Because, uh, it's only smiles is extremely good.
0: Cool. Um, so I'm going to use this as an excuse to bring up another music thing that Pat and I are both interested in. And that's the new black thing came out this week.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. So interesting. It, it's an interesting song. That. Have
0: you, uh, sorry.
2: I haven't
1: actually seen it. I know I sent it to you guys, but I didn't actually watch it.
0: <laughs> I tend, I think
1: I
2: like it less and less as I listen to it. Unfortunately,
0: uh, I like it in theory, and I like pieces of it.
2: Totally, yeah.
0: But I feel like it's mo- uh, It's. It feels kind of unfinished in a way.
2: Yeah. Like I, I feel agree.
0: like I have issues with uh do 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 do, but like. <laughs> Which is always the weirdest song to say than the title of, but like I feel like its big hooks are a lot more, I guess, catchy than "Kill This Love."
2: I agree. Whereas, uh,
0: like, I have issues with do 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 do, but like when it gets to the finger guns part in the song, I'm always going to be like, woo,
2: yeah 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 yeah. Whereas <laughs> there's those there's no, I like the the I like the way that the chorus in this song is constructed, but it's not catchy at all.
0: No. Uh, And it's kind of, it's kind of empty. And I feel like that would be fine if they like continuously added new elements to it. Like the first one was empty and then like it, the second one was fine. And then they added a third chorus at the end. And it was just like this big bombastic thing that could be really cool. But I think also, especially since they, effectively end after the bridge of the song, like the song just kind of ends. Yeah. That's
2: it's, it's, it's a little jarring. What's interesting is that I believe it's the most like successful K-pop song. I saw something saying that it's like the, one of the most successful K-pop songs of all time. If you look at like mm. how quickly uh, it, um, it, it like has garnered, has, has gained the views that it has. I don't know. I didn't I, read the article, but
0: Yeah, I and it, and it hit number one on the uh iTunes chart. And it's apparently the first time in your years like even a girl group has, let alone like this is the first time a K pop girl group's hit number one. Um which is which is cool. And I think it's just because we are like as K pop listeners, uh just starve for content with Blackpink. So I've I've listened to it several times, not necessarily because I think it's great, but because I'm like, okay, this is something new and I will listen to it.
2: And I will say that the video is like really, really, really cool. The the video is a lot better than the song, which I think is true of most of their, like, I think that's true of of the other stuff that they've put out generally. Um, But I don't, I also don't think it's bad either. It's just that, that, there's very, very good K-pop coming out a lot all the time now. And right. So when you kind of put it up against those, it's interesting that this one is the one that's taking off so much.
0: Well, and especially since I feel like it's, it's so easy to compare to their earlier tracks. Like it's so easy to compare to like, just because of just of how few tracks they've had. And yeah. I feel like it's hard to say that I would listen to this over like Bumbaya or as if it's your last or something like that. Yeah. So, and this is Allison and Taz K-pop Corner. Woo.
1: Hell yeah! K-pop Half hour into uh, this podcast, haven't I, talked I about new podcast. video games.
2: <laughs> I would also we we don't even need a video for this because I I have even less nuanced thoughts about it. Uh, I've right. listened to it times so far, but um, new pop album came out yesterday as well. It was a pretty good day for music releases. Um, it's it's really good if you like pop punk. Uh, it's they're they're. I think my favorite band doing that right now. Um, and, uh, the new album is, is also very mature and kind of, it's their third full length. Um, and it's definitely, uh, a maturation of their sound as well. Um, they, they, there's a lot more kind of, uh, nuanced lyricism on it, I think. Uh, and it's relatively simple compared to something like periphery when it comes to like the music part, but it's, it's really good. Uh, and they're an awesome, awesome band. So, if you like pop punk, you should listen to that too.
1: While we're uh, using this as a venue to talk about music. I'll, I'll say a one sentence one. If you like, <laughs> if you like, uh, jazz slash funk, check out the new snarky puppy album. It's really good.
0: <laughs> I like both of those things. So I will definitely check that out.
2: And go pre-order the new thank you scientists while you're at it. There you go. <laughs>
1: All right. Video uh, games. Um, oh, last uh, oh.
0: I bought tickets to see Curly Ray Jackson and I'm really excited.
1: Okay. <laughs> And you got the vip tickets didn't you
0: yeah yeah so uh well it was one of those things where i was not intending on it but i wanted to have a decent seat and it was really not that much more expensive so uh so i i coughed up the money and i'm going to uh do the whole like there's like a whole q a there's like you can be there during like part of her sound check, I think. Oh, and cool. there's like a picture, like either, I, th- I think it's like a group picture. I'm not sure if it's just like individualized, but it, it sounds fun. So I'm excited because uh, Emotion is an amazing album and I'm really excited for her new album.
1: So this, a little bit of insight, because I'm, uh, I've been in metal bands and like death metal bands and stuff like that. I have never met a metal musician who does not like Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) Just so you know,
0: I I, I went to her. uh, I went to her tour for the Emotion, like her tour to promote Emotion, Mm -hmm. and it was like ninety-five percent just music nerds there. Yep. Like yeah, she's great. Like there are a couple of there are like a couple of like young kids there who are like clearly just like call me maybe, but like it's it was it was just like all like music nerds who are just like so excited when uh run away with me comes up we're all just like yes this song <laughs> and it's it's so so yeah if you're a music nerd you really should be into carly Richardson.
2: agreed As i'm a music nerd who is not at all into carly Richardson, so i need to read some like Need to read a treatise or something.
0: Okay, I, will, I will, I will find one and send it to you because she's amazing. She's an awesome
2: person, so don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm, I have nothing against. I'm glad that that uh, she garners so much excitement in people. This is not a like. This isn't a Game of Thrones thing where I'm like, <laughs> stop talking about it.
0: Well, I, okay, so time for me to go on my treatise about how Jamie <laughs> oh, Lannister boy. is the most interesting character. Uh, I am.
2: Okay. Bye everyone. <laughs> episode sixty four. Oh, no. uh, episode
0: sixty four. Uh, it ends with Allison just being uh, just like fade on. out on me going. Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, so video games. Video games. So video games. This, is uh, this is in theory a video game podcast. So Pat, you've played some video games.
2: We played a bunch of video games. Um, let me think, man, where should we start? Well, we I, f- I finished Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Uh-huh. Um,
0: Party City.
2: Uh, it, that's a bad video game. Um, it is not good. Uh, and it's so sad because it would be good if it only didn't have dumb progression and you can't get cards you want or need. You just have to grind for money to get random packs of them. And even that is a limited thing that you could run out of. The ability to do and the boss battles suck. Um, so anyway, what doesn't suck with chain of memories is how fucking wild the story gets. And it's so wild because Kingdom Hearts 2 would not make any sense if you didn't play Chain of Memories. (laughs) Chain of Memories was a Game Boy game. (laughs) So, like starting Kingdom Hearts 2, I was just like, how the way King Chain of Memories ends, I was very much kind of like, oh weird. I wonder how they address all of this stuff that happened in Kingdom Hearts 2, because it seems like all of this was very important. It would be a shame if it didn't matter. And then Kingdom Hearts 2 starts, and it's like a direct sequel to Chain of Memories. It is not... It is... And it would have to be, but it's like it's so weird. Like Sora's in like a sleep pod and he's getting a bunch of memories back. And there's like people with like on computers, there's like a half dozen major characters that get introduced in chain of memories that they just assume, you know, in kingdom hearts two, they don't like reintroduce them. They're just there. And it's wild. (laughs) Uh, and kingdom hearts Two is a pretty good game. I'm enjoying that one a lot. Uh, so much so that, like, I sit down on the couch and I'm like, well, I could I could work more on playing Sekiro, a game that I super do love and enjoy and I want to play, like, try to get through as much as I can before the end of the year. Or I could play Kingdom Hearts 2. And most nights I've chosen Kingdom Hearts 2 just because it's, like, less stressful and a very good video game. Uh, it, like, builds on aspects of the first one. It's very similar to the first one more so than I was expecting actually, Mm -hmm. but it builds on the combat of the first one in a smart way where there's more, you have a little bit more agility. The enemy design is a lot more interesting. Um, there's a much greater variety of enemies. Uh, it's just like, and then also the story is, Again, if you didn't know what happened in Chain of Memories, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. So I could see why people wouldn't like it. But I think it's very propulsive and it's really interesting to kind of see where things will go. Um, And I'm excited to see how, like, all of the stuff, it's already spiraling out of control. So I'm excited to see how it spirals out of control more with two more handheld games after this.
0: it's from what I know about Kingdom Hearts, it is going to spiral out of control.
2: And, and the cool thing that I've managed to largely avoid um, like spoilers for stuff. So I, I more or less knew the plot of the first game up until the very end. But I didn't and I know about like I knew that Organization 13 was like a shadowy group that existed. And I knew that Roxas was some weird character you played as at the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2. But beyond that, and I know that there was a Keyblade War at some point. Beyond that, like, I don't know that much about the lore of the series. So, um, two is like very interesting in how it builds on that. And I've kind of grappled back and forth and I probably will until the end of the series with the ways in which that game. And I think this is one of the more divisive elements of its, of its plotting. Um, when you go to the Disney worlds, you don't, yeah, I know. You're you're largely um, just sort of playing along with an element of the plot, like like the Mulan world is one of the is the first one that I went to because I actually forgot that that was a thing in in the game. Um, Mushu shows up in Chain of Memories, but uh, he, he's, he's uh, you actually go to the land of dragons, which is like the Mulan world in in Kingdom Hearts two, and it's like is,
1: is Mushu voiced
2: by Eddie Murphy? No, actually. Oh. I wasn't gonna bring this up. I was gonna save this for our Kingdom Hearts cast, but Mushu's like voiced by a white dude doing an Eddie Murphy impression. Oh no. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm willing to say that game came out like whatever, 15 years ago. Yeah.
0: So
2: we'll 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 just we'll just move on from that. But when I looked at the voice actor, I was like, there is no way that it's this white dude. And I looked into it and it is. And he's got a pretty good Eddie Murphy impression for what it's worth, but holy shit. <laughs>
0: what the hell? That's so bad. Yeah. I mean, I know this was from a long time ago, but who was like, you know, this, this is fine.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> very strange and definitely made me less excited about whenever Mushu opened his mouth. <laughs> kind of wish I had preserved that magic for myself. Uh, um, anyway, uh, uh, it, it, it is, it is a good video game that aside, uh, And, um, and, and it's interesting in the Mulan world, like you go through, uh, you like you meet Mulan and, um, you help her gain the trust of, uh, the, the commander guy, uh, the captain. And then, um, you end up doing the avalanche scene, um, except that, uh, that, uh, shoot, what's his name? The, the bad guy, the bad guy has like a bunch of heartless with him instead of, uh, a bunch of like warriors. So (laughs) you fight the heartless a bit and then, but then Mulan still shoots the, the cannon at the uh, mountain and causes the avalanche and everything. And then you go to the Imperial city and there's the whole, like the, the emperor gives her her list of crimes and then says, and you saved us all. And they bow to her and everything. So like, it goes through that kind of quick hits of the story of the movie. And in a lot of ways, like that's been criticized a lot because it's not really it's not really advancing the plot of kingdom hearts that much. You're kind of just dropping in for part of the story. And that's not true on every world, but it's definitely true there. And it's largely true of a lot of the places that you go. So um, I kind of get that criticism, but I also think it's a cool way to experience, uh, to like drop in on the plot of a Disney movie that will never get a good Video game, you know, that's like true. that part of it's kind of cool. Um, so I have mixed feelings on it, I guess.
1: <laughs> I'm looking up the, the voice actor. What played Mushu? Okay, mm-hmm. He regularly stands in for Eddie Murphy. He was in Dr. Doolittle three. He was the singing voice for uh, Eddie Murphy in the Shrek movies.
2: So that's still not <laughs> Good, but it makes me feel a little bit better about him portraying Mushu in Kingdom Hearts because at least they just went, Who's the who's the stand-in for Eddie Murphy on voice acting gigs when we can't afford him? And they just picked that guy. It wasn't like <laughs>
0: It wasn't just like here. We need somebody to do an Eddie Murphy impression. Yeah, hey, this white guy, try yeah. it. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a little bit better, yeah. but still, come on. <laughs>
1: yeah, it wasn't a one-time thing. He also play- He also stands in for Arnold Schwarzenegger, apparently.
0: <laughs> God, okay, uh. I ca- that's kind of like the dream role is to just be able to like I don't know do the video game adaptations of things that like they're too like celebrities are too good to do. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah it's just weird that it's a white dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't
2: really like it. Um, I'm not going to continue to look up the voice cast of these characters. Uh, <laughs> the original <laughs> actress that played uh, Mulan though is Mulan in kingdom hearts. So that's kind of cool.
0: Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, but, uh, anyway, kingdom hearts is good. Uh, I'm, I'm through a few worlds now and I'm going to keep chugging along there. Um, and, uh, then let me think, what are the other good ones? To oh, I should talk about the game. That's probably the one that I'm going to tell you, you should go buy and play um, because it's really good is, uh, is Islanders um, Islanders is a, is a, it just came out, I think yesterday. Um,
0: oh, I saw this one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's a, it's a micro city builder, um, micro city builder strategy game. Uh, it's like, extremely smart and interesting so far. I haven't put a ton of time into it, but it plays at a clip where like you can kind of see what it's doing with an hour. I played like an hour or so of it, I think between this morning and last night. Um, and it's definitely designed for that. I'm actually a little surprised that it's not on mobile. Um, but it's okay. Um, it's not, that's not a knock on it. It doesn't feel like a mobile game. It just seems like a game. It feels like one of those super, super high quality like Monument Valley or something, like a super high quality mobile game that works fine on PC. It's but but I'm surprised that it's not also there because I
0: was wondering that I was wondering about that too, because I I saw something about it and I was like, oh, this looks like it would be a really good iPad game. And, uh, and yeah then, I, But then didn't see it. So I was wondering if that was
2: so I think good. the reason is because you actually kind of need precise controls. Um oh, okay. to play it. Because you're you're what the game is 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 you you get this really pretty looking Island that has, it has a really striking um, kind of stripped down art style, excuse me. And um, you're building basically a city on it, but you're doing it with packs of buildings. There's no resources in the game. Um, so you start off and you'll, you'll get a choice between like the sawmill pack or the farming pack. You pick the sawmill pack and it comes with a sawmill and three loggers. And so what you're trying to do is score points. That's always what you're trying to do is score points by placing the buildings. So if you place the loggers near trees, every tree they're near gives the logger one extra point for placing the building. And then if you place a sawmill, you, but, but the loggers, you get minus points. If you place loggers next to each other, they all, all the buildings have a sphere of influence. So you so you want to place the buildings near trees, but you want to place those, saw, the loggers far enough away from each other that they're not reducing each other's points.
0: Interesting. Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, and so then you want to place a sawmill in between them because the sawmill gets points based on how many loggers it's near and it loses points based on how many other sawmills it's near. So you, it's all about, it distills the city building experience because in a lot of ways, that's what city builder games are, is they're trying to balance where you're placing services versus where you're zoning for, you know, RCI, um, residential, commercial, and industrial. So in this case, then you get into like, okay, so you've built your sawmills and then you get, let's say you managed to get 30 points from placing the sawmills and the loggers. So then you get to pick a new pack. So now you're picking the city pack. So you're starting to place buildings. So you have to place the city center. Um, there's always on the early islands, later on, you actually get to place, pick the placement of it. But on the early islands, you, uh, there's a statue, like a monolith somewhere on the Island. Almost every building gets a bonus if it's sphere is close enough to the statue, but the one you really want to put next to it is the city city center, because what happens is you place the city center and then you want to place houses close to the city center because they get points there. Um, And then there are mansions, which get points by being close to the city center specifically, and then being close to other like pretty things like parks and fountains, but you don't want mansions to be close to like sawmills and mines and other industrial things. So like it, it's really cool because as time goes on, eventually you'll find that like, Oh, now I got the circus pack. The circus scores a ton of points when it's near houses, but it, it plummets in value when it's close to mansions. So it's like, it is like the idea there is like, it's like low income entertainment. So it, it's, it's positive there. Um, There's things like breweries. It has a ton of different stuff. Like temples are great if they're near houses, but you don't want them near markets. You don't want them near, uh, near um, like taverns. They have to just be near houses and walls. That's where, that's where temples want to be placed. So there's a certain degree of planning that you have to do because you have to plan for eventually I'll probably get a pack of buildings that includes this building. But at the same time, you're trying to, get points because the points are how you unlock new packs. So basically you lose when you run out of ways to get points, when you've placed all of your buildings and you can no longer get any more points because you know, you didn't plan it close enough. What's neat is that the game doesn't really punish you for that because all you have to do is just click a button and start a new Island. So, and it plays at such a clip that you're not like spending hours on one city only to run out of point building options and then be screwed. Um, instead it's just roll up a new Island and then move on. And I believe the islands are procedurally generated. So in theory you could just play forever. Um, and there's, uh, there's, there's different, the islands are like the most recent one that I played, it had very little surface area, but I kept getting these packs of water platforms. So I was building my city on platforms in the water and then placing sort of my more industry focused buildings on the little bit of land that I had to be able to like mine rock and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's $5. So it's, it's like really, really cheap to get in. And I don't think it's a game that you're going to play for a hundred hours or anything. They specifically say in their little, like, is this game for you video on their steam page that it doesn't have late game comp super complex buildings that are like really, really, really hard to use. It's it's, they're all kind of the same conceptually. Um, but it looks really pretty. And even when you're done and you've kind of you're at that game over state, it doesn't like tell you that it just lets you scroll around the island still to look at it and take screenshots if you want, if it's, if you built this pretty thing. Um, so it's very, very cool. The one thing that I wish it did that it doesn't do is if you, once you click to place the building, it's down, there's no undo button, mm.
0: there's
2: no way to move buildings. You can't even delete them and like take the point hit for deleting them. I really wish that it just, you could just undo your last placement. I think that would be smart because it is really smart about the way it tells you how many points you're going to get from placing it. It just shows you like in the sphere, it has little numbers showing you all the positive and negative point impactments. And then like on the building itself, as you're mousing it around, it'll tell you the total number of points it'll give you. Um, And that's great. But sometimes you'll be like placing it and then you'll nudge it a little bit. And like, oh, in this placement, it would have gotten 20 points versus 10. But because you're trying so carefully to place it, the mouse moves a few pixels and then you click and then you only got 10 points. And I don't think that's like a big enough deal that it should deter anyone from playing it. But it would be cool if they had some kind of quick undo feature. I don't think that would like make it easier or anything. It would just help with misclicks to to not to be like more precisely place things. Um, but I recommend it. I think everybody should check it out.
0: Yeah. I, I actually just, uh, just bought it off steam because I, I, I like city builders, but I, I, I kind of like the, uh, feel of it just because I, I, it looks like it could be kind of a chill experience.
2: Yeah. It's super chill,
0: which, which I like because I like city builders, but I don't necessarily want like an, a super intense one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In terms of style, um, it kind of reminds me of a mobile game. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever played it called Polytopia.
2: Yes, totally.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it kind of has a similar feel there, though. Polytopia is more like um, almost like civilization rather than a civil, yeah. city builder.
2: And then they made this. I believe it was the Polytopia devs made a city builder, too. Um, that is very much like SimCity. Um, mm-hmm. like very, very, very much. Um, and that's cool, too. This game does not have... There's nothing really, really, really. It's just, you place the building. It gives you points. When you get enough points, you get a new pack of buildings. There's no resources that are flowing. There's no, like, there's nothing. The buildings aren't affecting each other other than when you place a new one, you're getting points based on what you've done. Um, there's, Interesting. Like there's really cool stuff though. Like there's a shaman building. The shaman just wants to be near flowers. When you place the shaman, it's just, you get bonuses by being near flowers. That's
1: great.
2: Um, but other buildings want to be close to the shaman. So if you place the shaman, you want to place the shaman in an open area that you haven't really developed yet that has flowers around it. But then mansions love to be next to the shaman. So if you then later place a mansion next to the shaman, then that will give the mansion more points. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting, cool little things like that, where like you do sort of start to get into a planning the city out ahead of time, um, as you get deeper into the game. Uh, so yeah, it's it's five bucks. It's totally worth playing. Uh, and it plays really fast too. Like you don't, I love city builders, but my problem with them is I will play a city builder, like city skylines for five or 10 hours to build like, a decent medium sized city. And then I want to see that like wild end game stuff, like building highways and, and building airports and things, but it's so much of a time investment. Like it, you can get a lot out of those games by playing them for a few hours. And then the mid game on them is so crawling in a lot of cases. Um, and that's not a thing that happens with this game. Cause it played. I mean, you finish an Island in 15 minutes. So and then
1: what, you, what you're saying. saying is that Islanders is basically the dive kick of city builders.
2: Sure. You can make that argument. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think you could play it at a pretty high level where you're really, really getting every single inch out of your, your Island, uh, too. So I don't think that it's not that it's like super, super easy either. It just moves at a at a really nice clip. Uh, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really easy to keep getting to keep growing and learning with it. Cause you just roll that new Island and you're good to go. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, good
0: to hear. Because the one game, the one uh, city builder cities that I've got, our series I've gotten really into is uh, Tropico, just because oh I yeah. feel like, especially Love with Tropico. the especially with the campaign, it, it moves at a really nice pace. Yes. Uh, so uh, th- that's probably my biggest issue with a lot of city builders as well. So
2: yeah, Tropico uh, and, and Anno when they're good get around that problem. Those are my two favorite city buildings for,
1: for sure. Because Tropico just came out, and Anno's soon to come out.
2: <laughs> I know. And I want to play both of those games, but I just haven't really had time. Anno, I might break for, cause that looks, it looks absolutely spectacular. The screenshots of that game are like, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> uh, but well, I always wait to see on those games because Anno has had bad games in the past. So like yeah. 2070, is not very good. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I still will echo the the idle thumbs call. Um, they should make an Anno 2007. The Anno games titles, the numbers always add up to nine in them. Um, so there's like 1602 and 2077, not 2077, 2070, um, and whatever the future one is, 2700 or something. Um, they should make an Anno... 2007 that's based on the financial crisis in the <laughs> United States in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> Going <into laughs> That would be yeah, that's really I mean. interesting. <laughs> like take the, take the concept of all of the, like in, in the future one, it's like you're trading, uh, you're trading resources with the moon in all the old, like 1602. It's all about like building a trade empire overseas in 2007. You could make it all about like stock prices and, and, like banks and stuff like that. And it could be really interesting. Uh, and but anyway, industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll try not to, to like, just talk for the next half hour, uh, at, at both of you. But, um, the, the other two things I got into this week, um, I played some Elder Scrolls blades. Uh, that's another one that I guess you could just go get cause it's free. Um,
1: though there's a, kind of not a waiting list, but like a queue to kind of get uh, in, right?
2: That actually, it came out for real yesterday. So oh, the okay. queue's cool. Yeah. Uh, there was that, but now you, now you can just play it. Um, that game is like, as long as you come in with the expectations of it's an Elder Scrolls mobile game, that's a, it's a really cool game. Um, it's not, uh, it doesn't have an open world. So you're just kind of like selecting missions and then going on them. Um, but it looks fantastic. Uh, it It's like, normally mobile games have to adopt some kind of, kind of uh, more stylized art to be able to look good. Cause realistic art doesn't usually look great on phones, but they managed to do the standard elder scroll style and it looks great on phones. Um, the combat is more engaging than I was expecting. Um, the way the game works structurally is the like sort of, hub is this city that you're rebuilding over time. Um, and then there's a few ways you can go out. You can pick a mission from a list of story missions, like story quests, uh, that have more diverse environments associated with them. There's some sort of randomly generated quests. You can just go on, you get daily ones and weekly ones. Um, and then there is this sort of procedurally generated, uh, abyss that you're trying to get down as far as you can in, um, that that's kind of cool too. But the mission, the, it's different tile sets, but it's always the same. You go to these, uh, whether it's a forest or a dungeon or whatever, and you're going along a pretty linear path. There's usually a couple of offshoots, but generally it's pretty linear. And you're just moving through the environment, picking up treasure chests, picking up resources, and then you get into fights. And when you get close to an enemy, it just locks you into a fight with them. Um, and then you're, the fighting is kind of like Pokemon go in a way, except, you're except it's more complicated and you don't like have to flick the button, but you do hold it down until a circle builds. And if you hit, if you let up and when the circle's at its biggest, then it'll do a critical hit. Um, and so then you can do combos by going from one side of the screen to the other side of the screen and back and forth with kind of a rhythm, which is cool. You have a shield button. So when the enemy kind of winds up an attack, you can hit the shield button to block them. Um, and then you also get, uh, as you level up, you get a bunch of skills and spells and stuff. So you can, they're usually, they're icons on the screen. You can equip a few of them at a time and there'll be things, there'll be things like dodges or buffs or debuffs or just damaging attacks. Um, so the comment is actually a little more like different enemies are weak to different things. And so there is like some strategy involved if you're going into a crypt and you know it's going to be skeletons you should bring a bashing weapon instead of a slashing weapon um so it has a lot of that stuff and then um the gear is very much what you would expect you're getting like different rarity colors and different levels of items that you're equipping um the the thing that is going to turn people off and I don't really understand I mean what do you expect it's a free to play game but the chests are on timers so you pick mm-hmm. up chests and then you have to kick off a timer. I've never really understood why that bothers people so much, especially in this game. Like you can continue to do quests. It's not like what you get out of that chest is gating your progress. So you can keep playing it. Um, the chest can go. I've seen gold chests, which take five hours is the longest timer I've seen. And, the game by default doesn't send you notifications, like the notifications are off and you have to go into the settings to turn them on. And if you do that then you can it'll ping you when your chests are done. But it's very unobtrusive with how it manages that stuff. Um the other timer based thing is you're rebuilding the city. Uh and so you when you choose to place a building, you spend the resources and then it takes a certain amount of time to construct it. Um so that's a time gate also but the buildings don't really gate your progress either they're just they increase your town's level and that gives you different bonuses but i don't know it's it's relatively simple um it's a little more complicated than these games kinds of games tend to be and the combat is engaging but it's still not as complex as if you were to play a like mmo or something it's not quite at that level but i think it's really fun kind of just a fun little mobile experience. And I think that if they continue to build on it and make and add more interesting things to do, then it could be even better over time. Um, and as far as something to just like play on transit or something or on a break, it's really fun for that. Uh, and it moves between portrait and landscape in a really cool way. Like when you're in portrait, you just tap to move and that works great. And when you're in landscape, you can use digital pads, which feel pretty good since they're not really tied to any kind of reflexes. It's not like you're trying to, the the reflex stuff is all in the combat with the tapping. So anyway, it's fun. It's cool. Uh, if you're not looking for that kind of experience, then, it won't be for you. And if you come in expecting it to be like totally free with nothing, with no monetization, then it won't be for you either. But, uh, but it's good. I recommend trying it. Have Here either you, do either of you have any designs on playing Elder
1: Scrolls blades? Nope. Probably not. <laughs> I don't particularly like the Elder Scrolls series. So
2: I would say it is, uh, absolutely nothing at all. Like an Elder Scrolls game other than it's in first person, like the structure and like, it's got the same kind of feel in terms of the lore and the visuals and the characters. But it is a, if you're going into it, expecting it to be like an elder scrolls game on mobile, push that out of your mind, not to say that you should play it. I don't know that you would like it, Alex, but like anyone who is like excited about it and wants to play an elder scrolls game on mobile, it doesn't feel anything like elder scrolls at all when you're playing it. It is definitely a mobile dungeon crawling game. That's what it is. Um, and, uh, it just, they did a good job with like sort of the atmosphere and, and some of the, the character designs and stuff. Um, so yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I will talk about that I have played is, uh, a small crowd funded thing that is still trying to get it to find its, its, its space legs, as it were, uh, called star citizen. Very small. <laughs> uh, so I think I've talked briefly about star citizen before on the show, but I backed it like ages and ages ago when it was still like the promise of it was still so fresh and I've kind of stuck with it to mostly to see the train wreck around it. Cause I assumed that the train would continue to wreck <laughs> And after kind of dipping into it a bit this morning and seeing what's coming in the next update, I actually have a lot of confidence in the game now. I think it's taking way too long. And I think it's just absurd that their single player narrative campaign isn't going to come out until late next year. That is so wild to me because from what I've seen of that campaign, it doesn't do anything particularly like, like, Complicated, like they have a uh, they've been tweaking the flight model of the ships, which is very important for that campaign because it's mostly space combat, but it's not like an open world thing. Like, as far as I know, you're just going on missions like you're playing X Wing or something like that. Uh, so, it's weird to me that it takes just taking so long, but whatever. A lot of what they've shown is very high quality, and playing it a bit today, like that game, the new flight model that they've added is really good it's that game is going to be phenomenal for people like me. I think um, if, and when it finally releases at this point, they've got a pretty good proof of concept for what the wider world will look like. I think there's something like 32 star systems planned for it in like that are handmade within a bunch of procedural stuff built around that. And so far they've more or less finished one of those systems. And that's what you can sort of play right now. Um, and it's, functionally pretty fantastic. Like when you boot the game, you wake up in your bed. Not all of this is recent stuff either. This has been stuff they've built on for a long time, but you wake up in your bed. There's a character creator now, so you can customize stuff in 3.5, which is coming out. Um, you can customize things on a much deeper level. It's almost like a Sims kind of customizer. Uh, right now it's pretty basic. Um, and then you have to, the the reason this game is cool is because you have to do things like, you get up from your bed. You have to walk out to the station ship claim terminal. You have to select which of your ships from your ship inventory you want to pull. And then it'll say, okay, so your ship is on landing pad D eight. And then you walk to D eight the whole time. There's all kinds of other people around you with you. You walk to landing pad D eight. you have to go out of the airlock. You have to push the button to cycle the airlock. So you can go outside, you go outside, you push the button to open your ship, your character, like, animates climbing up the ladder into your ship. You like walk up to your chair and you sit down in the chair and it spins around. And then you have to like hit the button physically to like power on the engines and everything. So it's really that experience. Like what I tried to do at first, the reason I reinstalled it is because I thought that the new patch was out. So I flew to the new location that they added, which is a city world. And, um, once I got there, the space hyperspace travel is incredible, like the jumps, but most people will hate it because it goes fast. But like, it took me about 10 minutes, I think, to fly from the starting station to this planet. And like in that 10 minutes you can get up and walk around your ship and like you can crawl into the bed that you have on your ship. And like if you had a bigger ship with cargo, I'm sure you could go down and like look at the cargo while your ship is flying through space. They're going to have like big multi-crew ships and passenger ships and stuff. So you could go around and like talk to your friends and your real life friends and who all I'm sure will be playing this game. Uh, And you can like, you know, play mini games, I'm sure, and stuff like that. Like, it's 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 very much my kind of thing. Um, but then I got to the, the place where this new city is supposed to be, and there was nothing there, no planet there. And then I realized that I didn't have the most recent patch, because the most recent patch is on the public test realm, because for some reason, this alpha video game has a public test realm <laughs> and the live realm oh, geez. to run two Uh-oh. different branches of its alpha, <laughs> which is... So dumb.
0: That's weird.
2: Yeah. But I got frustrated and I cl- quit the game cause I had run out of fuel. So I was just stranded. I later realized that your fuel regenerates as you fly. Cause it's like hydrogen fuel. So if you fly around they're mm. scooping hydrogen in space, um, but, uh, so you could never be stranded, stranded. But then I booted it back up and I, cause I realized I had never flown to a planet and landed. Um, so I decided I would try that out. And it's an interesting, uh, I'm a big elite dangerous fan too. And elite is everything feels kind of like sludgy. Like I love what it does, but landing on a planet takes a long time and it doesn't, the payoff doesn't feel great. Whereas with star citizen, I've to a new planet and yes, it's sort of slow for most people, but it works how you want it to like, you can like, do a quick like jump orbit around a planet to get within close of where you want to land. And then these planets, it's kind of like if no man's sky had actually planet sized planets and had stuff on them to look at, like you can pull up a list of all the things that are interesting to go see. And like, I picked this one aid station on this desert planet and I flew down to the surface and it looks fantastic. And then I landed outside this aid station. And for some reason it just so happened there was another person landing there. I don't know why, but they were a real person and we both touched down and they were like kind of wary of me being there too. Cause you can just shoot each other if you want and you can go into this aid station and there's like stuff in there to click on. And it's cool. Like it, if they fill it out with content that is fun to play, the bones of that thing are really, really fantastic. Um, the problem right now is there's no progression at all. Really. Um, you can kind of increase a rank number, I think, but it doesn't do anything and you can't buy new ships or anything in the game because you buy new ships with real money right now. Um, which is not going to be how the final game is. Um, basically anything you've bought with real money, you'll start with in the final game, but the final game is just going to be a space sim where you can earn credits and buy new ships and stuff. Uh, so I don't know, they have to like make it make the content interesting, but the bones of what they have and the structure and the, flying the ships around and getting in them and taking off and setting a hyperspace course and then getting up from your chair and checking on stuff is very cool. So hopefully they get there.
0: Very cool. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) sounds good. Well, it's probably more than I have. Um, I basically have one game, which we really don't need to talk about. Uh, because it's stardew valley and we talked about it last week
2: uh, (laughs) i just played it because we're talking about it but if i do all of
0: them in this room i should just try it like set up a new thing and then multiple hours later it's like oh i'm i'm back in on this um
1: did sam influence this
0: yep (laughs) yep so that game's real good uh it's kind of the like a perfect game for me, and I wish there were more games like that where it, I, I feel like it, it manages to be both chill and have a great sense of progression at the same time. So you can just do what you want, but you have things to work towards if you would like to. Mm-hmm. So I need more games like Stardew Valley out. There was, um,
1: there was a 3D one on Steam.
2: My time at Porsche.
1: Yeah, my Time at Porsche, that's what it was. Apparently that game it's,
2: is really weird. Yeah,
1: apparently it's not great, but it's close.
2: I like it, but it's weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's also a Graveyard Keeper, which is very
0: uh, Yeah, I I played it, but it I played it for a while, which was fine until it completely crashed and like lost yep. a bunch of time. Yep. And that's I kind of was like, fuck this. Because I liked it yep. in theory
1: but yeah, it's very buggy, very crashy, very, uh, unoptimized.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, I feel like it's something that if they could figure out a way to optimize it and make sure that it doesn't crash, um, as often I could get into it, but I, yeah. I, it, there's something a little bit, uh, uh, demotivating when you suddenly lose like several hours of progress. <laughs>
1: Um, but, but you don't lose that with Stardew Valley.
0: But you don't, you just have the, the day, which is the, the day mechanic is the biggest, like uh, time sink of them all because you go, Oh, well I know what I need to do this morning. And then you just play another day and it constantly loops and you keep playing more days and you realize, wait, I've stayed up way too late doing Stardew Valley. Um yeah, so it's. I don't know if I have much more to say about it. I want uh, that new Stardew Valley but Harry Potter game to come out soon. Witchbrook, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, because I feel like that's something that I could. Uh, that could be exactly the game I've always wanted. <laughs> um, if it's anywhere near Stardew Valley, but it's, it has like the whole Magic School thing. Uh, yeah. So I'm. Apparently now I, I looked it up a while ago because I was like, what's happening with it? Apparently now, since that, so, since uh, Chucklefish has released a uh, war groove, uh, all of their internal devs are hard at work at Witchbrook. So hopefully awesome. that'll come out soonish. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Um, The other thing I've been doing lately is reading Yay books Uh, I just finished, uh, and I'm not going to get into all of the books I've been reading. um, Just isn't even that many. I I don't know why I phrased it like that. But I just finished a good Star Wars book. That if you're looking for Star Wars content, uh, you guys should be reading Lost Stars, which is like it's there. So for people who aren't as following in on star Wars extended universe stuff a while back, they basically said, okay, all the content released before this time, except for the movies and a couple other things is not canon. And so now we have a, a smaller canon of books when for a long time, there was just like too many books. Um, and, uh, so, but, so, th- but for a lot of people ranking star, uh, recent star Wars canon books, um, uh, lost stars is pretty much the top of the list. So I was excited, I, I was decided to read it. And you guys, if you have any interest in that, uh, looking at you, Pat, it's really, really good. Um, because it's very specifically going through the, uh, Original trilogy, kind of do, but focusing on uh, two characters who are kind of there on the periphery and kind of their relationship in a way that it uh, throughout the uh, original three films, basically because their childhood friends turned uh, romantic interests one of them ends up with the empire. One of them ends up with the rebellion. So there's that element of like kind of star crossed romance, but also um, kind of going deeper into are like how are there, are, are there good people working for the empire? What does that mean? Can you still be considered a good person if you're working for it? Like it, it gets really deep into the kind of decisions of, of, people in that time frame in the star Wars universe, which is really good. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really, really excellent. Uh, I'm going to star Wars uh, celebration this next week and the author is going to be there. So I might just blubber at her uh, <laughs> how much I love this book and be like, it's so good. Uh, I'll, I'll just, uh, hopefully I'll get, um, I read it on my iPad, but then I got a physical copy of it so I could get it signed. So
2: cool. Yeah. Is. I'm yeah. I, should probably read it. I'm not sh- I, I struggle sometimes with the, like, there are good people in the empire thing because like, it's such a, and I mean, the original analogy was such a fascist analogy. So, right. And, yeah. So we can handled handle very delicately, but I also I trust th- your judgment on that. So I
0: think it does it really well, mostly because you have various characters and I won't spoil who that, um, defect from the empire mm-hmm. at very specific situations when they start seeing the fascism and you get really into how they're justifying it to themselves. Yeah. Um, and so it's not necessarily even excused like, Oh, well they're it, it because they thought of this, this is okay. But it's really how these people could justify these actions to themselves. Um, like a lot of the book, <laughs> focuses on the aftermath of the end of uh, a new hope. So the mm-hmm. destruction of Alderaan and then also the destruction of the death star. So right. it's uh, specifically, there's a lot of people, um, kind of rationalizing like, well, they thought they were building this death star to do this, but it didn't happen. Um, so it, it, it I feel like it gets really into the psychology of it where you go, like you kind of understand it, even though it's not acceptable. (laughs) And uh, I I think it, I think it walks the fine line very well. That's good. Um, Especially since these, uh, the characters start um, are all about similar ages to Luke and Leia. Mm -hmm. So they are all growing up basically within the sphere of influence of the empire and the, Mm -hmm. Propaganda of oh this this is uh yeah keeping peace and this is why you're doing this and well, uh, yeah
2: and if you take a smarter look at what that means I mean the movies only have enough room to hint at at the original trilogy but right it, it's much bigger I mean it's over the whole, whole galaxy right so like it's a much different thing than what an, uh, an uh, what it would look like what what it does look like when it happens on earth you know like there's a there's an interesting examination there i just what i always worry about with there's some older star wars stuff that like makes the empire look cool in a way right that and i I have, I have a huge problem with separating the and it's and the problem it comes in when like tie fighters are cool the game tie right. fighter is a cool game you know um when it focuses on the the equipment and like the the like flying a TIE fighter around. That's a different thing. What I don't like is that there is some works of old Star Wars fiction that is not canon anymore that um, makes the ideology of the Empire look like
0: right. And and that's something that I have a lot of issues with, with too, yeah. especially with how much branding goes around like stormtroopers and uh, exactly.
2: Yeah, right. That sort of stuff.
0: I have I have that's probably one of my biggest issues that I have with yeah. the franchise as well. Um is that
2: And, and they've gotten away from that, but but I like to hope that they continue to.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean to the point where there are people who are like you know, like I, I actively had to have an argument with a coworker once, where she's like, "You know, the Empire was not that bad." And I'm like, "They fucking destroyed a planet
2: for no reason. <laughs> they committed reason. genocide. <laughs> they
0: committed genocide for like no reason. Yeah. They had a thing called the Death Star. Yeah. Like, you don't think hmm, this is a little <laughs> bit of a like."
2: And it's really heavy handed in the movies um, on purpose to make it clear that they are the bad guys and that they're evil. And so while I think it's because it's a fantasy and because it's, it's not real, I don't think that something like tie fighter is problematic. I do think that fiction that seeks to humanize them too much without acknowledging how awful they are could be problematic, but it sounds like this walks that line in a way that is not. bad. Oh
0: yeah. And, And it gets to the point where it's like, you know, they've been taught all their lives that the empire is the only way that these they're basically being told from the empire that uh, rebels are terrorists basically. Right. Um, so they think that what they're doing is for the greater good. And then they start realizing with yeah. like this destruction of Alderaan. And it's kind of like how certain people react
2: to, it. I think what I want to see, and this might exist too, but what I want to see is I want to see the novel series that's goes really deep on how, the Republic is able to to turn public perception towards the Empire being a good thing in between of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. That's the that's the bit of fiction that I'm really curious yeah. about because that's sort of an uh, we we don't really get to see that as much. Um, it's kind of more like the Republic are more or less the good guys. You can make arguments about that. The politics mm-hmm. of the, right. the, the prequel trilogy's politics are actually a lot more interesting than. What happens in those movies? Uh, oh, and it's that, kind that's... of a shame that it's not represented more in the movies. Um, yeah, but but I'd like to see how those politics, that the, the transformation into the empire I'd love for them to hand that to a really skilled author to sort of dive yeah. into that. And, and,
0: and to a small extent, you get that in this book.
2: Yeah. Not Sounds like it. I
0: think. Um, but like the book starts when these characters are ch- uh, children and there, there's, um, like a preexisting, uh, sort of, uh, not quite caste system, but a cl- more of like a class system. Yeah. Where um one character is from like a much lower class, and one character is a much higher class, and th- uh, like the promise of the empire for them, it's kind of like as like kind of an equalizer, I guess. Yeah. So it's really um, so they they think, oh, this is like you know you can, you can if you work hard and you kind of in an American dream kind of way. Like if you right. work hard and dedicate yourself to the empire, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter where you came from. Sure. Um, but then it starts to criticize, like, you know, the empire is also doing like, it says that, but it's also kind of destroying this planet. It's removing all of the life from the planet. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's basically uh, expects you to give up your pure cultural identity like it's uh yeah so it's it's i i agree that it's a super fine line but uh i would still recommend you check this out it's uh and and i've um been reading a couple other star wars books so i'm trying to um i'm trying to decide which one i want to read next especially with celebration coming up this week
2: Cool. Yeah. But, uh, if you want a fun bit of, uh, I, I believe Nora Wexley is a major character in these books too, right?
0: Uh, she's a big fict- uh, character in the Aftermath books.
2: Aftermath. Um, okay. Which
0: I finished the first one, and I'm going to pick up the second one.
2: Yeah, um, I got to read those two because she's. I don't know much about her, but she's one of my favorite characters from the X Wing Miniatures game. So.
0: Yeah, and, and the books, uh, and, and the first book, a lot of people were a little bit. Uh, <sighs> Ifion, but i actually really enjoyed it and uh it's 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 focused on uh a lot on her a lot on her son who's um uh, snap Buxley, who's in the movies mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> i i, I Temin. kind of love temen yeah but his nickname snap yep. um but i but and then also kind of they, they form a little uh a crew eventually um including the droid, Mr. Bones, who's the best droid.
2: <laughs> uh, fun note of stun Star Wars canon uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, so like you said, um, Disney kind of obliterated a ton of expanded universe and made it into soft canon that they can draw from and say is official whenever they want, basically. Yeah, basically, which is the smart way for them to do it. The expanded universe of Star Wars was really convoluted. It's much better for them to be more selective and curate, who, in my opinion, who can make canon work. Um,
0: well, also, I, I just don't understand why some of the people who are really attached to it necessarily even wanted them to do direct adaptations of the novels. I mean, I don't know. Those novels still exist, and you can still go pick them oh. up and you can still read them. So I don't know. the fact of the
2: matter is a lot of them aren't very good. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, one thing true. That, that's one thing that, 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 that star Wars fans kind of need to, to, to chill on. I think like the, those kinds of star Wars fans is I read all the rogue squadron books. Like I read tons and tons of star Wars novels when I was younger and about 30% of them are good. And then yeah. 40% of them are, you can, they're kind of, I don't like to use the term guilty pleasure, but you can like, and this is how most of the rogue squadron books were they're okay. I can, they're fun to read. They're not great, but they're okay. And then most, and then, you know, there's a slice of them that are just bad too. Um, so anyway, like the Thrawn trilogy is great. There's like good writing that exists. Although the Thrawn trilogy gets into that problem that I was talking about where it it makes that character look cool and appealing and that character is horrible. Yeah. And I definitely don't like how some people, reacted to that series of books, but we do not have to get into it. The funny thing that I was going to raise about, bring up about the Canon is um, a lot of the officially licensed stuff that comes out now. I think pretty much everything is, Canon, right? They're just more selective yeah. about who can use the license. Right. So, what that means is that the Star Wars X Wing miniatures game is canon. Releases for that are canon. There's not a narrative component to X Wing, really. Um, it's just like the ship came out. So, like, they release an X Wing and it has, uh, pilots that you can select for it. And there's always generic pilots like Red Squadron Ace. So, you can fly four Red Squadron aces. And then there's name pilots like Luke Skywalker. You can only fly one copy of a Luke Skywalker piloted ship. Um, so like, you know, you can fly Luke and Wedge Antilles and Thane Kyrell. Um, Oh, so he's the,
0: he's the, one of the main characters in Lost Stars. Very cool. Yeah. He's
2: a pilot in, uh, in, 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 X-Wing. Uh, all the pilots are real characters from the fiction. Like they're all characters that exist, all the named pilots. Um, sometimes they have to stretch things though. So for example, uh, last, last month, um, the Clone Wars came to X-Wing. They released, uh, the the Republic and the Confederacy of independent systems, uh, separatists. Um, and, uh, the, um, Sith infiltrator was one of the ships they released, which is Darth Maul's ship, the scimitar from episode one. So, uh, obviously, um, it makes sense to have Darth Maul be one of the pilots for it. Uh, it also makes sense for his droid 066, which is a funny name for a droid, considering what order 66 is in star Wars. 066 is, uh, is a droid that can fly it. It's his droid. I don't, I haven't read enough of the Maul comics, but he's a, he's, he is a canonical character that can pilot that ship, um, for mall. And then they have a generic pilot. Cause they always have a generic pilot called the dark courier, whatever. Um, but the other named pilot is count Dooku, <laughs> who never flew that ship at all. <laughs> Ever and has his own ship. But because X-Wing releases are technically canon now, at some point, Dooku flew the scimitar. <laughs> and even funnier than that, he's a better pilot than Maul is in that ship too. Hmm. Like he's 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 kind of objectively better in it Uh, especially with the scimitar title which you can take all of these ships you can if they had a special ship you can take that the the title card with it and it makes it cost a little bit more so so like i'm currently flying a list that includes two darth Maul flying one sith infiltrator and dooku flying the other sith infiltrator but dooku is flying the one that is technically called the scimitar because he's better with that title it's so funny and wild Star Wars canon is a, is still a mess and yeah. it's, a better, it's a cleaner mess than it used to be, but it's still a mess.
0: It is, but I kind of, you know, I kind of love it. Like oh, yeah, I, me too. I, I feel like as I've gotten more into Star Wars and more, I'm like, you know, I kind of love the bullshit about it as a totally. Um I'm- to the point where I'm really excited that what's part of the merch that they're, um, releasing for uh celebration is, uh, is uh, actively they're releasing a lunchbox that uses images from the holiday special. Um, it's the, uh, it's from the, um, uh, Boba Fett cartoon.
2: Well, and that's still canon, right? I,
0: th- the, I think not the not holiday, special holiday special is still, no, no, it's no, no, not? It's not. Okay. no, no, um, no. Well then they, they shouldn't be putting out a lunchbox. <laughs> They've brought, only. they've brought out some uh, brought some of the things into canon through other means uh, like they um, the B. Arthur uh, bartender has been mentioned in uh, um, a story, I think. And the uh, chef Gourmanda is, has been brought up in a, in a uh, story, um, and those are two of the best parts of the holiday special. So I'm like, thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So elements of it are canon.
0: Elements are, and then also I think that uh, like Chewy having a wife Mala and son uh, Lumpy is still canon, <laughs> but it's just been brought into canon from mm-hmm. by the people, which I kind of love because that's been a uh, consistently, um, a consistently maligned part that they would love us to forget exists, and then but fans are still like no, let's bring back the holiday special. (laughs) So, um, I, I, I am just happy, thrilled that I'm in a universe where I can, uh, I'm going to try to buy official, uh, um, holiday special merch. That's great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm actively going to try to buy that lunchbox and we'll see if I can get it. Very nice. Yeah. um, all right. So on that note, uh, bookending with uh, not video games and ending or, or with not video games. Uh, I think that that'll do it for this week's episode of Gaming Fix, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add.
2: I don't think so.
1: No.
0: OK, so Alex, where can people find you?
1: Uh, I have
2: WhatsApp.
0: OK, cool. How about
2: you? You can find me at jesterpc on Twitter with links to the other stuff that I do there.
0: Cool. And you can find me on Twitter at W R I T E R S E R E N Y T Y. And, uh, I haven't done Twitch in a while, but Twitch at happy beeps here. And I just bought that domain for a website. So we'll see what I do with it.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah.
0: I am the proud owner of here dot com. I don't know what I'll be, what I'll be doing with it.
1: Not, not dot bike.
0: <laughs> not dot bike. Um, I could have gotten dot happy beeps here dot club for a little bit cheaper, but I, I didn't want to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, like subscribe all that stuff. Yeah. We're not on YouTube, but like, well, we are on YouTube, but
1: we have, a we have a larger presence on porn hub.
0: <laughs> oh, we do. Don't we? Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but you know, leave leave reviews, everything. Even if you don't like this podcast, just leave us a, like a very glowing, happy review. despite us.
1: <laughs> and watch the Playing Hard documentary on
2: Netflix, which is about For Honor. Yeah. And the development thereof. It's going to make me want to play For Honor again. I don't have time for that. So we'll <laughs> see. Sounds good, though.
0: Sounds good. Well,. Um, See you later guys. Bye. See ya. Bye. (laughs)